Welcome to 457 SEO, a place for stories, information, and observations about the community in which we live and work and play and eat and laugh. (laughs) And um, this is an audio experience presented by WOUB News. And I'm Allison Hunter. I'm Aaron Payne. I'm Susan Tebbin. I'm Atish Baidya. And this is going to be um, one of our first forays into foray. I don't know why I said that word. I've never said that word in my life um, in terms of real conversation. Yeah. Okay. So I should have tried to sell that um, (laughs) a little further, but it wasn't authentic. Um, But uh, this experience is, I don't know, hopefully you enjoy it. We're just going to say words and throw them out. Um, And we want your feedback. Just be nice. We're trying. (laughs) We're trying here. We're doing our best. Uh, We're doing our best. You will hear from... A Republican voter. We found one. Of course we found one. There are many Republican voters in um, in southeastern Ohio. But um, looking at the last voting opportunity for folks in this area, which was the March 15th primary, in Athens County there are 4,300 registered uh, Democrats, uh, 1,200 registered Republicans, 33,000 listed as nonpartisan, and eight for the Green Party. <laughs> and what else? Another issue hitting us hard in this area, opioid abuse. And Aaron Payne did a report on drug testing in our local schools. So we'll talk about that and hear from him on that. Well, Atish and Susan hear from that. You won't hear my voice because I wasn't here that day and when we recorded that. And my favorite part, you can say it. You can say it. It's your line. It's your line. You can say it. But I've been talking a lot. The Amazing Adventures of Chris Riddle. Now I kind of messed it up. I don't feel like I'm saying it correctly. The Amazing Adventures of Chris Riddle. So let's get started. Disclaimer, we understand that jumping into politics and talking about voters and parties and everything is um, pretty much a landmine, and especially for journalists. But we are committed to exploring topics, um, not necessarily endorsing one side over the other, just understanding that we do all live here and we do all need to uh, find ways to make where we live and work and make our and help our families eat and all that. And our political system is um, a way that we do that in this democracy that we call home. And so... Um, we all have a different perspective of what that looks like. Yes, and so we're committed to exploring that, um, especially as we lead up to the election season and beyond, because this doesn't go away just after November 8th. Voters are headed to the polls, voting early here in Southeast Ohio, and we wanted to talk to voters and look at what they are looking at in terms of the race for the White House and for local races. And one of those voters we managed to talk to is a Republican voter, Rebecca Keller. And Rebecca, Susan, had a lot to talk to us about. We had a very long conversation with her. Yes, it ranged from um, her raising her chickens to what she wants to see in education to, you know, what the government is like and what she wants to see out of the government. So it was an interesting uh, what, two hours that we talked to her? We just sat down, had a conversation. It was actually uh, very nice. So one of the things, she grew up uh, here, but she moved around a lot. She mo- lived in Chicago for a while. She lived in New York City for a while, actually, while when 9-11 happened, she was in New York. So that kind of affected how she thinks about the world. Okay. Um, and so then she moved back to the 457 SEO. 
And um, she wasn't always involved in politics. She's a mother. She's a, a wife. She's uh, working. She does lots of things like everybody else does. Um, but she saw that there was an increasing need um, for her to volunteer and for her to do things, So she, mostly because um, she saw the need for changes in government. We had to move from New York partly because of the cost. And honestly, I wasn't that into politics when I left, and I didn't realize that, that all of the taxes that were suffocating us and the fact that we lost over $100,000 on our home, we literally had to pay to leave. From what I understand and what I feel, that's what the Democrats keep doing. Instead of solving problems, they keep taxing, taxing, taxing. Money isn't going to solve some of these issues. So hmm. you can see there um, she obviously decided to be a Republican. Um, she saw a lot of problems with the Democratic um, way of doing things. So she um, is supporting Donald Trump. Um, and she said the reason that she is, a lot of uh, the reason is because she sees the cha- the need for change. And Donald Trump is a candidate that's inarguably completely different from any other candidate we've ever seen. Okay. Um, so. uh, just a quick question. So she didn't choose to be like to join the Green Party or anything like that. Did she mention whether she had um, she grew up in a Republican household or I know that she voted for Obama in the last election. Okay. I know that. So right. she hasn't always been you know tied to Republicans. But uh, Aaron, oh. do you remember if she said? Well, her household it was more conservative leaning Christian upbringing. Um, okay. Her father was an economics professor at OU. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, and I believe it was fiscally conservative as well. So gotcha. Some, gotcha. some background in that, but she wasn't beholden to it, kind of came into it on her own. Yeah. Sure. And she d- actually didn't mention, you know, the Green Party or the um, Constitutional Party or what any of those other Libertarians. Yeah. It was m- very much involved in issues. It was not, you know, the candidate so much as it was she wanted um, a better life for her kids, a better life like anyone else um, for her, and to see where her money was going in the government. You, you really got that uh, a sense that from her that she has a very deep distrust of, of the government. Mm-hmm. It, it feels like the government um, has made a lot of promises. Uh, they say they're going to do things. And the federal government? The federal government. Yeah. Okay. And that they have not lived up to those promises. I, I get the sense from her that there's this feeling of being left, let down, and that mm. the things that politicians say they're going to work on and fix, they don't feel like they're getting worked on and fixed. Fast right. enough Fast or enough. at all. At, at all. all, yeah. And they, they're getting more and more reports from um, you know news organizations that they trust. It's not usually the mainstream media. Um, that their money is being used in secret ways and in behind-the-door deals and things like that. So that's a large problem for her. She she sees the government as something that's not transparent at all, that's something that they're trying to do something with their money and their time that's the, for voters' money and time that's not being told out in the regular world. Government's broken. The system's not working. This is what she's saying. The, yeah. The essential, the, yeah, the government's broken, the system's not working, and that the way this, that government is involved in people's lives is in a way that's, the government's too involved in people's lives, and it's not involved in productive ways. Right, and she acknowledged, actually, that, you know, the Democrats see the system, there are Democrats that see the system as broken, too. So on both sides, you have issues where they believe that the system's not working for them. She just believes that there's uh, fundamental differences between what the Democrats want um, to see in the changes and what 
obviously Republicans do. So, but and she's top of ticket in that no matter what, because there are Republicans who are not top of ticket, mm-hmm. and we hope to hear from you also um, when you in the comments and how to reach you. On that. But um, uh, yeah, she's very. Um, she a, a lot of our conversation was what Trump can do for for the country and what Trump they need Trump to do for the country that Hillary Clinton can't do that you know anyone else a career politician cannot do right she believed in Obama and then Obama disappointed her so now she's moved on to Trump to shake things up as she says shake things up like not work with Congress or work with Congress or change the system and how blow it up yeah yeah and that's her words. She she will. She used that word. She used those words. To well, I think Atish blow up the system. Used it first. <laughs> oh, Atish used the, it first. You, you led the. He term. led the. He led the question. <laughs> yeah, but blow up the system in in that he's not gonna. He she said he doesn't owe anything to anybody politically. So if someone tells him he needs to do something, he doesn't think he needs to. In her mind, he believes that he's going to do what he's going to do, and she believes and um, Republicans that. She's talked to, Mm -hmm. believe that he is going to change everything and he's going to do what they need to do. Washington has become a rich crony playhouse for all of the politicians, all of them. And this is why I support Trump, because he's a, a doer. He's a go into the site, assess what needs to be done to to make this function efficiently at the lowest cost we've never had that in washington and her proof of that is she is very faith-based a lot of what she said is this is just what i believe this is i go by my gut and when my gut is wrong i pay for it essentially okay so she you know she's read up on she's done her research she she believes in what he is saying that he's going to do and she just does not and she has a lot of opinions about the clintons um that go along with her support of the Trumps. And actually, she believes a little bit, while she is supporting Trump, she believes that she is voting against the Clinton administration, which she believes is, you know, a long-standing, deep tie to the big government kind of thing. Right, right. Um, So, you know, we've seen a poll from Baldwin-Wallace that showed that Ohio voters are voting against a particular candidate versus voting for someone. Um, And that trend, Rebecca believed in that trend as well, in in that you want to show support for those that are trying to shake up the government versus the people that are in the big government tied into it have their investments in it. What is the role of the government? You know, we do need to go back to our Constitution. And see, this is another thing that uh, Republicans and Democrats don't agree on. I think we're afraid of what the Democrats will do to our Constitution, so we say it's literal. I think they'll take it and just do whatever with it. I mean, we really, truly believe Hillary wants to take our guns. I can't say that I'm up to date on all the WikiLeaks, but I do believe there was something in there about that. There is just this very deep-seated belief that the government system is not working for regular folks. And that deep-seated belief, the sense that I get from speaking with Rebecca and as we speak to other Republicans, we'll, we'll see how this plays out, that and that, other voters overall. Other voters. I mean, that, I mean, it's. I think you can say the same with Democratic voters. Based on what your beliefs are, that you that means you're coming from a certain perspective, and you're going to see things through that lens. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, it's all dependent on what your vision of America is. Um, you know, 
the biggest thing Rebecca wants to see in the election is the change in American values back to what they were, like talking about um, walking down the street, not being afraid of things, uh, being afraid that you're going to be harassed or attacked or uh, what they were for things. whom. So for her. That, right. Yeah. So that's important because that whole idea of making America great again gets dicey. Right. Because right. great for whom? Rebecca wants to see in a time when what she saw as American values, people, um, kids that had respect, um, um, people that could just walk down the street and, and nobody thought about, you know, whether they were suspicious or not, that kind of thing. Mm. And the time when, you know, freedom, as she says, freedom wasn't taken for granted. No one else has the freedom we have. I don't think the kids today understand that. I don't think you really understand that the freedoms, even in England, they're going to, to jail for Twitter and Facebook stuff. Um, Aaron fact-checked that. I fact-checked that. Uh, there's an article in The Guardian. There was a communication act. I think it's called the Communications Act of 2003, and I can't remember the exact term of the offense, but there was an example of a young man who on Facebook, after a stabbing death of a teacher, I won't go into exactly what he said, but essentially he said, good, I'm glad that teacher got stabbed, and it was much more vulgar than that. Um, flash forward a couple of weeks, the the police are at his door. He's arrested, and he spends six weeks in jail for that. So, so it wasn't, yeah. So it wasn't necessarily a threat, but it, it was a, dis, a it was a disrespectful remark, right? But I think it's a fun. Uh, this is also yeah. like a fundamental example of the sentiment of the the changing culture. They see. Uh, the, they being the, voters, the voters. People. I mean, everyone. I think we we see that we're in this dynamic period in time where with social media and stuff, things are changing. Our culture always changes and shifts and mm-hmm. and evolves and how you react to those those shifting ever shifting dynamics. Right. It, well for instance, um the Republican headquarters was recently vandalized and um you know the the head of the GOP um in the area had said, you know, in my day that would never have happened. We would not have gone out and said he was assuming, of course, it was college students that had done it. Um, t- uh, spray painted racism lives here and fascism lives here on the wall. He said that never would have happened in my day. My dad would have had them take me to jail. And, you know, all these things we never would have had even the thought that that we could go and, as he said, deface a, a, a wall. We it just never would have occurred to them and you know the the as the power structure sure so because that's part interesting when people in power suggest how people who feel outside of that power Mm -hmm. should protest and express their discontent right and they use the phrase social justice warriors quite a lot to (laughs) to refer to um the people that you know are now protesting you know shouldn't we all be fighting for social justice but i think it's interesting that they use the word warriors um i've seen social justice activists used sure. on, on the other side sure but warriors and putting the word war in there is sort of interesting but. right suggests there are no rules yeah but a focus on the end goal yeah and sort of a more violent way to do it though um journalists 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 yes, yes. <laughs> and a lot of a lot of what they have to to base their um values and what they want America to look at is that whole idea of under God and um, who's God under their God. Uh, she, Rebecca is of Christian faith. Um, she's a very devout Christian. Um, and so she goes by her belief system, obviously. And she even said, you know, some people in her church believe differently than she believes. So it's, 
it's all dependent on what I took from her. Is all it's all dependent on you and what you believe and how you're going to think of what the right thing is to do. Right, and that's what she wants to also instill in her kids as well, right? This this idea that they have the foundation and the strength to um, to make decisions based uh, on their more based morality. on their values and sure, and we all know, want that. Right, as we a, all as want a parent, that as parents. You, you want that, mm-hmm. um, but, but and then you question, and so here it is: How do we get along as a community? And are your decisions inclusive of people who don't look like you, who don't worship like you, who? Mm-hmm. Um, Maybe don't walk like you or talk like you. Or, yeah, who just don't believe. Even atheists who don't believe in a God at all. Sure. Exactly. Exactly. And so that's where politics is supposed to be able to, well, maybe not politics, but (laughs) politics is a whole different thing, right? But that's where this idea of being able to vote and come together um, for the greater good as a democracy. Yeah. And and she did say (laughs) she did say, you know, no matter who is elected, um, she is going to go back to her faith and do what she needs to do to either come to terms with it if the candidate she doesn't want gets elected or um, do what needs to be done if if not. I just have to trust, you know, and I do what I think is right. I stick to my beliefs. I respect other people. This can be kind of confusing and scary. And I have to say that I honestly, I just woke up to the fact over the last few years that my government does lie to me a lot. That's it. That's it in a nutshell. Isn't it, though? I mean, mm-hmm. that's it, how people feel. That's how people feel. And I would, on argue, the, on the I would argue on either side. I would yeah. argue on, on both sides. It's a real interesting mix of voters know have this feeling that there's something wrong the system isn't working and then based on your personality and your beliefs and and how you grew up and where you grew up and and all those things that those sort of all come in together into this giant pot of soup and it comes out different flavors depending on all those ingredients and it's just hungry and right <laughs> and curry um and curry and but this idea that everyone is trying to make sense of this fee- their feelings of this isn't working. And I think a part of this is who gets pitted against one another, what groups get pitted against each other, and this feeling of it's not working and whose fault is that. Mm-hmm. I don't think Trump is some savior. He's not a savior. But he is somebody with a different perspective who I think doesn't care about some of these things that they've been pursuing that have ruined our country to this point, gotten us to this point where we're not Americans anymore. I'd like us all to be Americans again. Whatever that means. To respect it. And to whomever, right? As as an American woman, that's going to mean something. As a black American. Born in the USA. As an immigrant American. That's a a hyphenated term. So she's clearly pro-Trump top of ticket. Um, so what does she feel? About, how does she feel about local races and local Republicans? She didn't mention any local Republicans when asked that question. It, it, there's very few politicians in the realm out there that are anti-establishment that she sees out there okay. doing their thing. Yeah. It's all about perspective and all about what you see in the world, in America, I guess. And our job yeah. as journalists is to explore these stories and hear these voices and try to understand. I don't know if we need to understand or just make sure that their voice, voices are heard yes. and information is accurate information is transmitted. 
Our job is to get yeah. all sides, no matter what those sides are. Our job is to get all sides and not to as many judge. voices. Right. Yeah. Our job is to bring as many voices to the table as possible. Mm-hmm. I think the idea of thinking of sides means that there's a game and there's some losers and there's some winners, right. as opposed to there are voices and, and there stories. are people and stories and information and accurate information, so people can ideally make an, a more informed decision and not an emotional one. Mm-hmm. Because we don't know it all. We Hey, we do not know it all. Can we say that a few more times? We are just here to ask the questions, and hopefully they're the important ones. Coming up. To lose a kid to anything is tragic. To lose a, lose a kid to something as preventable as an overdose, an accidental overdose, is just devastating. It is the fall and school is back in session. Students are into the classrooms, but schools now have other things they have to worry about, and that includes including emergency overdose medication in the classroom and having to formulate drug prevention plans. Aaron Payne is looking into all of this and how many schools in the Ohio Valley region are using random drug testing despite questions about whether the tests really work to deter drug use. Belbury High School takes the field against Trimble in the second week of high school football in Ohio. Logan Racy and Eric Ross help lead the team during their senior seasons. Eric says it's important for them to be good role models on and off the field. That includes remaining opioid free. You get really close. You're all friends, the brotherhood. You don't want to let the other person down. You don't want to be the guy that got busted for drugs. Logan agrees. He says, however, their love of the game is a good deterrent. If you have a passion for the sport and a love for it, you're going to stay away from that stuff. The two are not alone. A recent study from the Journal of the American Academy of Pediatrics found students who participate in extracurricular activities were less likely than their peers to have long-term opioid use disorders. Logan and Eric, however, understand student-athletes are not immune to the dangers of opioid abuse. They lost a teammate two years ago to a heroin overdose. The death was hard on the teens and equally hard on the educators working in the Belpre City school system. To lose a kid to anything is tragic. To lose a, lose a kid to something as preventable as an overdose, an accidental overdose, is just devastating. That's Superintendent Tony Dunn. Dunn says a committee of adults joined student-athletes like Logan Racy in response to the tragedy and established a random drug testing policy. Middle and high schoolers involved in extracurricular activities or who drive to school are tested. Dunn says they needed a way to reach the kids suffering from addiction, and by providing treatment and counseling for those students rather than expelling them, they hope to prevent the next tragedy. The ultimate success will be none of our kids will die from accidental overdose. But others question whether testing is effective. Dr. Stephen Matson is the okay, chief of adolescent medicine at Nationwide Children's Hospital in Columbus, where he also runs an addiction clinic. People have looked at that random drug testing and just doesn't work. Studies show mixed results, and after working one-on-one with children suffering from opioid addiction, Matson says he believes parenting a child is more effective than drug testing one. You might make them your kids crabby for a little while, but that's your job as a parent to not always be their best friend. 
Researchers from the Journal of Psychiatric Studies last year found children who receive direct involvement from their parents are less likely to abuse opioids. Matson says the medical community also plays a role in limiting access to the opioids children so might I'm abuse. Prescribing a medication for, um, His colleague, Sharon Rona, director of pain management, works to develop best practices when it comes to treating their young patients with opioids. If we're prescribing opioids, certainly you need to outweigh the benefits and risk, and you need to see if it's appropriate for that type of pain. Rona says they look closely at the risk factors for addiction, and physicians are more often turning to alternative methods of pain management. Rona says she's teaching children how to manage their pain with the help of gamification. There's like a game in there, and it shows them they can move through the game if they're relaxing and using those techniques that we've taught them. Statistics show these efforts might be paying off. Data from the group Monitoring the Future indicates opioid abuse has dropped over the past few years among 8th, 10th, and 12th graders. And most experts believe if enough resources go toward proven prevention and treatment programs, healthy children will grow into adults with a better shot at ending the epidemic. Aaron, some questions that we had, you know, as we were listening to that. What is the most common pathway for for these kids to get into opioids? Like, how do they start using? When you're discussing kids abusing opioids, what experts are focusing on normally is prescription drugs, but not prescription drugs that are prescribed to the kid themselves. You're looking at someone in the family that is recovering from an injury or has just had surgery and the medication is in the house. The parent or adult doesn't need that prescription anymore and the kid comes upon it, whether intentionally or experimentally, and then they will typically get addicted like an adult and go towards cheaper alternatives like heroin after that. Um, There are other pathways that kids are going to abuse opioids. It's not necessarily one way or the other. Dr. Mattson, that was in the story, he discussed keeping an eye on friends, and that is because the traditional peer pressure that you think of when you think of kids trying drugs for the first time, that is still in play today. That still is a factor. So Dr. Matson advised people to look at opioids through the lens of looking at your child's friend group. If you, If your child has a group of friends and then all of a sudden they have a different group of friends and they smell like smoke and they um, are maybe disrespectful, kind of a stereotypical bad crowd, then maybe you should keep an eye on it for your child's sake. And another method is a few high school athletes will get to abusing opioids after they get an injury while playing a sport. But like the study I mentioned in the piece said, It's not as common as specialists originally thought, but it still does happen from time to time. So you talk a lot about athletes in the piece, and um, you're also talking about, you know, having groups of friends, certain groups of friends that do this. Um, So are we looking at other groups? Um, Are experts looking at other groups besides athletes to see if there's an opioid problem in other places, or are we focusing on athletes because that's, you know, an access point for them? It it is an access point for them, and 
when you're talking about kids and opioids, the group that has the most research on it seems to be athletes, high school athletes. There are other groups that researchers look at, but they're not as tangible as high school athlete. It's more of kids in poverty. You can't really put a face, put one kid out there and say that's the face of child poverty because it affects so many different demographics and uh, races, creeds, colors, religions. Um, but some of the other groups they look at are children in poverty, children with learning disabilities, children with perhaps mental issues. But it, it's easier to put a face on a high school athlete. Yeah. <laughs> you got somebody in pads out on the field wearing mm-hmm. a helmet, whereas you put a, somebody in child poverty, there's no uniform for child poverty. Mm-hmm. You said that the numbers of children actually abusing opioids is down. And so that could you put that in a little context? So that sort of, is, I don't want to say it's confusing, but I mean, I think right, it, right. there's something going on there. Yeah, I understand where you're coming Right. So you're looking at the monitoring the future numbers that I mentioned, and it's indicating that the numbers of uh, students, children reporting drug abuse is going down. But looking at opioids specifically, it's going down. Okay. I th- there is an uptick. Uh, this is going to sound like a weird anomaly, but 12th graders their use of Oxycontin is up from 2014 to 2015. I don't have the specific percentage right in front of me at this moment, but I, that number jumped out at me. So if you're looking at the monitoring the future statistics, which are online and can be found um, from 2014 to 2015, the use of Oxycontin is up among okay, 12th graders. So, so the use of Oxycontin is up and opioids are up, but the, the use of heroin and narcotics are down. Heroin overall. Overall. Down. Narcotics overall. Down. But within that narcotics category, Oxycontin up among 12th graders. Okay. Is the drug testing that's happening, the random drug testing, is that uh, a, a reaction to this, this bump in the, the sort of the opioid, the Oxycontin numbers? Well, like most great questions, the answer is it depends on who you ask. Um, the concept of random drug testing is not necessarily new. It's about as old as the war on drugs, which began back in the 80s. But there were questions about its legality until the Supreme Court ruled in 2002. That case is called Board of Education versus Earls. The practice was legal as long, it was, as long as it was limited to students participating in extracurricular activities who received other privileges outside of the normal expectation of um, in-class work, such as driving to school. Uh, a majority of schools implementing in rural Ohio, like Belpre, have done so in a response to the opioid epidemic. There are other places in Ohio that have had it for longer, just trying to get ahead, get out ahead of drug use, whether it be marijuana, alcohol, cocaine, Adderall, just any type of abuse. But more in more rural areas, the drug testing program is tailored or created because of the opioid epidemic. Uh, going across the river and south of the 457 SEO, you go to Huntington, West Virginia. They've had their drug policy in place since 2012, and that also was a response to the opioid epidemic. Huntington, West Virginia, one of the worst, hardest-hit cities by the opioid epidemic. They kind of, I don't want to say started that trend, but they were on the, the front end of 
schools getting random drug testing programs in response to the opioid epidemic. So we've got these new programs, and we have schools all over the country complaining that they're getting their budgets cut and they're getting all these things, but now they have new programs in 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 their schools. So uh, what do these things cost and how are we paying for it? Another good question with another, it depends on who you ask, <laughs> response. The low end, it's $15 per test. On the high end, it's typically $35 per test. Belpere City Schools, that includes high school and middle school, has 38 teams. But just looking at the high school athletes, you have about an estimate, again, estimate, of 254 student athletes, and that's taking into account some students participate in more than one sport. So on the low end, you're looking, if you were to test everybody participating in high school athletics at Belper, you would have the program cost about $3,810. On the high end, you'd have about $8,890 for a year's worth of testing. And that's only if you test every student once. And to make a drug testing program really effective, you're not going to just test them once because once the student is tested, they realize, well, <laughs> now I can do drugs because I'm not going to be tested again. Mm -hmm. So that brings back the part of the random yeah. In the random drug testing. And when you say um, one test is one price, one test is another, is there, are there different tests? or are they? It, it just depends on what company you go with. There okay. are, There's not many companies that do random drug testing in schools, but there are a few. They're rather profitable com companies. Mm -hmm. um, and again, those estimates don't include the middle school athletes, and it does not include the students that drive to school but do but not participate in athletics. Another thing to mention is in the in Belpre City Schools program, if a kid fails a drug test, they will be tested periodically throughout the year moving forward. But after the first positive test, the cost of the test falls on the student rather than the school system. So that might help with the cost. So if you fail a test, you get three strikes. And you're not expelled during anything. The only thing you lose is your privileges on the field or the court. While kids are not initially the ones thought of as victims of the opioid epidemic, there are still resources needed to watch out for them. Okay, thanks, Aaron. Thanks for your work. You're welcome. When we come back, okay so four five seven seo welcome back yeah i'm atish baidia yeah i'm susan tevin i'm allison hunter i'm aaron payne and we're here today with, go ahead, say your name. There's no way I could say it. I'm Chris could... Riddle. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if uh, that's my ringtone. Okay, that's weird. <laughs> <laughs> that's or your voice, mm. his voice when you're answering machine. Yes, there like we go. Voice Carl Castle and all that. <laughs> so Chris Riddle, um, you, Chris, you see a lot and you hear a lot in your daily uh, travels and your time here at WOUB. And I think one of the things that we often talk about in the newsroom, but I think this would be kind of uh, 
fun for our folks to um, get in on some of your favorite stories of the week or happenings or what happens when Chris Riddle leaves WOUB. I don't know. So there's a lot of questions in there That's that you can answer. Yeah, <laughs> not too long ago. I drive by uh, the WOUB studios. So I say it like it's, it's our own building, right? So I drive by the WOUB studios and I see Chris Riddle on the ground, on the cobblestone street, laying with his head not quite in the street, but kind of looking at a car, a car mm. wheel. And I'm like, oh, you know, and I drive kind of slowly. And I don't know if we caught eyes or not. I thought I thought you saw me look at you. I was like, I didn't stop. But it's Chris Riddle. And... <laughs> He'll be fine. And there's AAA, and he didn't wave me down, so obviously everything's okay. I can't help here. So I drive away, and then I come back maybe a half hour later. Now you're on the ground on the other side of the car, and the hood is up, I think, on the car, and there's this, all this commotion. So because then you think Chris is going to make the news. And so, um, um, so... Thanks, Susan. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) That's my only one. Derailed that train of thought. Right. Just like, wow, I'm hanging on here. I got a lot going on. I'm just hanging on. Take two. Right. Okay. And then, so Chris is on the ground. The the hood is up. There's commotion. I see people with fraught faces. And if you can have a fraught face, is that the right way to say that? And what was it, Chris? Well, I walked outside, right? And I walk out of the building. You know, my shift is over. I'm going home. It's like 12 o'clock. And I hear this cat, and I just assume that it's in a tree, you know, because it's a cat, it's in distress. And this is a small town. And I'm looking around. There's no cat in the tree. There's two people next to this red Prius. And apparently the cat is inside the Prius, but not inside, you know. Not the hot kind. No, it's in the engine compartment of this Prius. Mm. And so we're all like, you know, we're looking up under this car. We're underneath the wheel well, and you can see the kitten. You know, it's just a kitten, and it's up there. So we're trying to get the kitten out, and the kitten's not coming out. And so the meter, the, the parking or the meter attendant comes by, and we track down the owner of the car. So we give her a call. She's like, "Well, I'll be down in about forty-five minutes. Like, well, can you come down now? Because there's a cat in your engine compartment, and I think we'd really like to get it out." So she comes down. We pop the hood. We can't get the cat out. So now there's like a group of people. That's about when you show up. I think there's like seven people out there. Yeah. There's like two people with arms down in this engine compartment trying to chase this kitten around. And so, I don't know, they spent like an hour, hour and a half trying to get the kitten out. Couldn't get it out. Finally, a tow truck shows up. They lift the car up, and the kitten runs out, and they grab the kitten. And I just had me driving back by at that point because I'd gone home, and then I was heading back to my house. So I drove by to see how things are going. <laughs> and there's a box right there, and two people are like, we got the kitten out, but we don't want the kitten. <laughs> so what am I going to do, you know? Like, all right, I'll take the kitten. Because, you know, my wife is always bringing home kittens. I have three cats. That she brought home. She brought home a raccoon one time. Oh, dang. <laughs> That's how she works, right? <laughs> so I'm thinking, well, she'll be okay with this. And she gets home and like, get that kitten out of my house. Oh. <laughs> oh. So apparently it's like, it, it's not. There's you know, a kitten standard. Yes, yeah. there is a kitten There's standard. a rescue standard. Right. Okay. But the kitten's doing well now. Went to the vet. Okay. Um, it's great. Found a new home. Found a new home. A so new you home. didn't have to keep the, didn't well, have to well keep wife the said, so, yes. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, that. I kind of wanted to keep the kitten. You didn't. I kind of did. No. Did. You already have three cats, and you call one of your cats Jerk Cat. There's Jerk Cat, who is a jerk because she's always where you want to be, like in the bathroom sink or in the garden when you want to get the wheelbarrow out. There's Seely Ahab Stubbins, who only has three <laughs> legs. Mm-hmm. Because when it was a kitten, the people that had him put him in a cage, and a raccoon bit the leg off because it was dangling down out of the cage. Oh, damn. But oh. now he's just, he's a tough cat. 
Yeah. He is our toughest cat. Best mouser. Only nice. three legs. Right. He's got something to prove. But, yeah. Because the mice but un- do underestimated. Do you need a mouser now? You needed a mouser before. Yeah, I do need a mouser. Wait a minute. What's the other cat? Oh, the other cat is Fanta. Fanta. He's like, just an orange cat. Like the soda pop? Uh, like the soda yeah. Pop. Okay. Yeah. And all the cats represent different parts of Athens County. So Stubbins is from Kilvert. Fanta is from Gloucester. And Alvy, also known as Jerk Cat, <laughs> is <laughs> is from the Plains. So. Oh, so you're pretty represented. Pretty well rounded. Pretty well represented. And that's what you get when you have like a social worker who travels around the county for a, for a partner. So. Nice. Yeah. Okay, so now you were going to ask about the mouser, but I don't want to jump off of this story real quick because the number of people who stopped to try to help this cat in the wheel compartment <laughs> or in the engine compartment It was thing, in the engine compartment. In the engine compartment. It would have been easy if it was in the wheel compartment, but in the engine. But not near fans because at some point you could see it. Right. Or belts or whatever. Right. And there was no fan. It was a Prius. I don't think there was a fan in there. See, okay, see, all the more reason that had me like, you know what, maybe let the cat just do what cats do and find its way out. (laughs) (laughs) Or not. I was on board with you, and I I suggested they just pour water in there, and the cat's going to run out. Right. But everybody's like, no, we're going to like... Maybe we'll take it down to the auto shop and they can lift it up on the thing. But the cat made it because the driver lives where? In, in Nelsonville. Right. So the yeah. cat made it because she found out later that it was the neighbor right. heard the cat. She, yeah, she called to see if it was the neighbors. And the neighbor's like, well, we heard it last night. But we didn't think anything. Was so, like, but wait, you so heard the it cat last night? rode all the way. <laughs> it rode all the way. And not only that, it also went to lunch. <laughs> because the owner of the car came out, went to lunch, came back. With so the cat see, in the engine compartment. And so, so some of that... And all the people trying to get the cat out, and they're banging on the car, and beeping the horn, and trying to get the cat to run out, and kitty, 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 and all of that, because, you know, I saw one woman, I was like, oh, yeah, you're an animal whisperer, come over here, see if you get the cat out, so... So some of it I contributed there to. There was like but a, the other an electrician wandering by. He was involved. Right, right. He's long arms and all that stuff. Yeah, He's no. under on his lunch break. He stops. People are stopping. I'm like, okay, wait, what is this? When, again, I would be like, well... I'm going to let nature take its course, and I'm going to go inside and leave, but that would have been that would have been me with a cat wrapped around. Oh, can't say that. Yep. Okay. Uh, but around, <laughs> he's going to drive. And he can <laughs> <laughs> edit that What's out. That before. Is that the bricks? We're not driving on the bricks. <laughs> oh, we're going to get blood down <laughs> our heads. <laughs> I am a cat oh, lover, okay. by the way. Maybe got a flat tire. <laughs> I'm like, keep driving. <laughs> no. Okay, so no. But I was going to say. I love but, cats. Well, some of the thing was, because some people were like, well, I don't want the cat to get scared and run out and run into trap. Oh, wait a minute. Let's not even talk. I'm not even going to finish that statement. The police came. I mean, they, I mean oh, yeah, this, this was <laughs> And emptied out deal. the trunk of the police cruiser. Yes. All, Wait, the, all the active shooter stuff looking for a jack <laughs> when the, the driver said, oh, I have a jack, but it's just under something. And I was like, can we just get her jack? But the police officer is empty. It was a, it was a what lot. What if there had and been then, an active shooter situation? Right when we're trying <laughs> to. Like, send the cat. <laughs> we need our best team. Uh, I'm right with you. We, we, I'm a little busy. I'm with a cat situation. We got an active cat situation. Active cat situation. <laughs> So then, okay, to go back to some one, uh, you know, there are a couple of concerned citizens who are like, oh, no, we don't want the cat to get scared and run out into the street. And it's like, okay, and get hit by a car. And it's like, if that happens, then nature took its course, because how much 
goes into trying to alter the course of this cat's life. That's how I'll say that. When was this? Because I saved the cat too. recently. Right. You did say that. It was before. It was after. This was before your cat save, which again blew right. my mind. I think the cat save from Chris uh, <laughs> subliminally implanted something in my brain. Because trying to be Chris Riddle. And what was the first thing you did when you found that cat? The, my first instinct was to be like, oh, look at this little kitty. That's nice. See you later. Because I was coming home from the, I was driving back from the, I was coming home from the gym and I was going, walked in my car, just tired from the gym, from the workout. I was just going to go home. And this cat came and I saw it around and I was like, oh, let's try and pet it for a little bit. It was a little hesitant. Who pets random cat? Just to see, I don't know. And I, it, was, it was cute. It was a cute kitten. So I petted it. Then it became super friendly. And then at that point, I you was like. You spent time. I spent a lot of time just playing with this cat for a little bit, but the whole That's time funny. I was thinking, this cat could be a killer. <laughs> I was thinking, <laughs> what would Chris Riddle do? I was thinking, well, Chris Riddle saved this cat, so I need to like do something like that too. I can't just leave the cat because Chris is a good person and he didn't leave the cat. I think this is all <laughs> going on in my subconscious. So when, because when, I, when did you realize that you're not a good person because you sent me the text asking if I wanted the cat? <laughs> because I knew he's going to save it to someone else. Killer. Save it to someone. Yeah, yeah. Well, I was going to say, my, his first instinct was to text me and ask me if I wanted a cat. Because oh, really? you know you're <laughs> cat I'm people. I'm not a cat person. So, right. That's not, a lot. the size of my apartment. And then, because the then what happened was after I petted it for a little bit, it would like, I got up to walk to my car and it started following me. Like, you imprinted on the cat, right? Like, like a dog, like right on my heels. Then <laughs> the I was cat afraid. Followed you like a dog? <laughs> yeah, like you know, cats only follow. <laughs> and then I was afraid that I was gonna get in my truck and I was gonna hang out there and I was gonna run over the cat. <laughs> so then I tried to like lead the cat away and then go back, <laughs> but then it would just I would lead it. Oh my gosh! To a spot away from my car, and then I would start walking back to my car and it would start following me again. I was like, I'm gonna oh, run over I this wish, cat. I wish somebody had taken video of this. Atisha's <laughs> walking over here and then trying to walk over there. Like, <laughs> like the cat wouldn't have saved itself from a big loud noise of a truck and a in a tire. Well, I don't know. <laughs> All your human so, privilege. All your so human <laughs> privilege. Also, the idea that they're kittens and they don't know better because they're like five-year-old children and they don't know right. any better. Kids know to stay out of the way of some stuff. This is Chris's kitten. Oh, being see. held by Susan. On WUB. Oh, no, that's right. <laughs> right, we'll put that up on the thing. Okay, so you saved the cat. What did I you do it. with your cat, Atish? I brought it home and I was like, hey, roommate. Happy birthday, kitty. Because mm. it was her birthday. And my roommate was like, oh, it's so cute. And then we're like, we can't keep this cat because she has a cat and the cat's a diva cat. And doesn't get along <laughs> with other cats. And aren't you allergic to cats? I'm slightly allergic <laughs> to cats, yes. <laughs> so there's that. So we decided that we would leave the cat on the back porch. And if it was back after dinner, if it stuck around, then we would have to deal with the situation. See, he was leaving it to nature. I was leaving it to nature. After he like, meddled all in it. <laughs> I was like, it was nature the over cat there runs right away. <laughs> before yeah, you picked it up the cat in the car. runs away. Or whatever, it's a little kitten. If it goes off, it's fine. Got back from dinner, cat was sitting on the porch. <laughs> Cat was like, I can know a good thing so, when I see yeah, it. Yeah, we fed it a little bit. All <laughs> you know what I've sucked you in. Yeah. So, so then we. No, waste all of it. Then my roommate gave it a bath. <laughs> it pooped in the towel. Nice. As it was dry, drying. We kept it in the lower bathroom for the night, and then my thesis advisor decided to take the cat. There we go. And so now the cat has a home. It was a beautiful cat. It was a cat. really friendly, cute cat. I'm not a cat person. My cats cute. are divas too, otherwise, I would have taken it, but. Yeah. Mm. 
Okay. So Mom, I meddled Mom, only because right. of Chris. Evolution only, I, 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 I swear, if Chris, if I had not known about the Chris, it would never occurred to have, It would have never occurred to me to. to I would have just left the cat. I really would have left the cat. Chris like Riddle changing lives. <laughs> now that cat has you to thank <laughs> for its new lovely home. You know there are cat colonies all over the place in Athens, right? <laughs> And then and I thought I stole. And then cat. I, right, point, right, you just took point, a feral cat. They're supposed one, to be feral. At one point, I thought I <laughs> stole the cat from someone. Right. I was like, did I steal someone's kitten? Right. But there's no houses around, you know, Walter and Ping and stuff. So I was like, no, maybe it's not someone's. Kitten. But I thought I stole it's it. Could be a whole bunch of vigilante cats friendly. coming after you because you stole their <laughs> their pirate baby, their baby cat. They're spying kitten. on me right now. They're like looking at me. Right <laughs> from the cat colonies, down. from the feral cat colonies. <laughs> That cat was of Appalachia. A, that well, cat was a ploy. My, right, it was a scout cat. <laughs> my, my my thesis advisor who took the cat, I mean, her cats, a couple of her cats they got, she got from like the feral cat colonies, like the, the strays out. They right. were having kittens and they just. I thought you couldn't so. really make them. No, I didn't think Because their eye, oh, see, Ooh. that's not good. But their eyes change. <laughs> Feral cats don't have the... Their eyes change? Something like that. I mean, we'll edit this out because I don't know the full story. <laughs> <laughs> but, but something like feral cats changing. in their eyes. I remember years ago doing a story. I was up in Cleveland and about feral cats and how you can tell the difference and it's something in their eyes and they can't connect to humans. But that was a thousand years ago. Mm. All right. Um, yeah, something... I, you know, I'll look that up on the internet. What's the difference between feral cats feral and, cat. and, and or like, like mm-hmm. zombie cats? And That's the expert. Actually, the expert. Okay, you just experienced the first 457 SEO, a place for stories, information, and observation about the place where we live, southeastern Ohio. So tell us how you feel about what just happened, but be kind. I just, I'm crying now. There's only four of us in this newsroom, so be nice. We have so much to do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we got to be back again next week to do it again, so... I'm Allison Hunter. I'm Aaron Payne. I'm Susan Tevin. And I'm Atish Baidya. And that's producer Adam. <laughs> Behind the glass. <laughs> you can't see him. You can't see any of us. That's how this goes. Okay, we're trying to figure this out. Just be nice. Yeah. Bye. See you next time. Or hear you next time. Talk it. Four Five Seven SEO is produced in the WOUB Public Media Telemix Studio. Adam Rich is the audio supervisor, Aaron Payne the editor, and Nathan McGuire created the music. Follow WOUB News on Twitter and Facebook, and if you have something to say, just hashtag Four Five Seven SEO.